Today on Garnet and Great. I said, you got to have goals. I said, I got to go. I want to be the head coach at Florida State when Coach Bowden retires. Welcome to Garnet and Great, the heroes and history of Florida State football. For many years, a website, now a podcast. Featuring interviews with players and coaches, the guys who built FSU into a program that won three national championships in the span of 20 years. Today, it's Rick Stockstill. He quarterbacked the 1980 and 81 Dolls to upset victories over Nebraska, Ohio State, and Notre Dame all on the road. Rick tells what motivated him and his teammates, who were all good players, to become great, and how Bobby Bowden turned a downcast program into a world beater. So here's Rick in 2006, just a couple of weeks before coaching his first game as head coach at Middle Tennessee State. And we can't think of a better place to start than that 1980 breakout win at Nebraska, the one that sent a seminal shockwave through the world of college football. It gave you us know, credibility. You know, that was the big one. When you beat Nebraska and Lincoln, what do you remember about that? It was a great game. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, we went there, and they were number three in the country. And uh, we had just gotten beat by Miami the week before, 10-9. to 9. And, You know, so we go out there to number th- – Number three, it's a seat. Uh, but then probably the big thing coming out of the locker room after the game, their fans were asking for our autograph. You know, their their fans were, you know, what a great game you guys played. What a, you know, you guys are great. You'll have you're gonna have a good year. Can I have your autograph? You know, and it was that was the first time myself or any of us had experienced that on an away game you know we were used to it there at home in Tallahassee because they were our fans but uh, I've always said Nebraska had the best fans of any away game any away team that I'd ever played Uh, they just uh, they they understood the game they respected the game they respected the players there wasn't that you know booing and throwing stuff at you that that you get at, at some stadiums and they appreciated how we played the game and that was that was rewarding for us and, and it was neat and different for us as players coming out of that locker room did you feel as confident you know right before kickoff or did you feel like you know, we just lost by a point to Miami, and uh, this this could be a long day. No, I, I don't think we ever felt that. I don't think we ever felt that way. I know I didn't at any game I ever played with at Florida State with Coach Bowden. Uh, he just had the knack of, and I've always said he was the best motivator of anybody I've ever been around as a player and now even as a coach. And we were all a bunch of average players, just a bunch of guys, you know, but we played hard and, 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 and stuck together as, as friends and teammates. But he had the ability to make an average player play and think he was a good player, a good player making him think and play like a great player. So we had a lot of confidence uh, in ourselves, and, and a lot of it was because we've had, we had some success. You know, we, uh, we got beat the week before 10-9, to 9, but, but we had a chance. You know, so I, I just think we had confidence going in there that we could win the game. And then I think at halftime solidified our belief, uh, you know, hey, we're in this thing. And uh, go out there and play the last 30 minutes, let it hang out. Talk about that Miami game a little bit. And, in fact, you know, the last that last drive, uh, I believe you threw a touchdown pass in the final seconds. You came within a point, so maybe you can talk a little about the drive and then Coach Bowden's decision to not settle for a tie. I, what I remember the game, you know, right before the half, 
Jim Kelly throws a – they're about the 50-yard line. He throws a Hail Mary up with just seconds remaining in the half and, you know, throws it in the end zone, and, and uh, they call pass interference on us. And that's back before they changed the rule that pass interference, you put the ball – down where the interference occurred. So it happened in the end zone, so they put the ball at the one-yard line, they run a play and score. And, they, you know, so they go up, I guess it's 10 to 3 maybe, uh, you know, there at the half. We had gone through three centers. John Madden had gotten hurt, and then uh, the other center got hurt, and we got down to our third-team center. So we had some quarterback-center exchange fumbles, uh, you know, throughout the game that uh, I don't think we lost any of them, but – you know, it killed a play, you know, and it was it was just – it was so hard as a quarterback, you know, not being sure you were going to get the snap. And, and it kind of broke our rhythm a little bit and not taking anything away from Miami. But, but that did affect the outcome, you think? I probably – maybe. You know, who knows? It, it might have. It might not have. I, it, I, I don't want to say that, that it did. But that last drive, we get the ball, you know, I think probably got it at their 40 – we didn't have any fumble center, quarterback center exchange problems that drive. You know, we, we got it we got it down there and um, hit a couple passes, you know, hit Sam Childers on a uh, on the play that had we needed to go for two, that's the play we were gonna run for the two point play as you prepare and go into that week and it was a, a post by Hardis Johnson in a in a wheel route by Sam Childers, the tight end. And uh, they covered the post, and then I hit Sam, you know, in the corner of the end zone there with seconds remaining, you know. So uh, we go for two, and, and, and Coach Bowden calls timeout. Uh, and, and, and there was never any question. It was never stock, what do you think, you know, or asking the players, anything like that. It was it was a given that, that we were going for two. Uh, you know, so we went for two, and uh, there's a drag route to Phil Williams, and uh, – we got some pressure in there a little bit maybe and and uh, threw it and Jim Burt, their nose guard, knocked it down and uh, that was the end of the game. I don't even think we uh, we may have kicked off. I, we may have tried to go for the onside kick. I don't know. Uh, I think that might have been the last play of the game. So you go to Nebraska, you beat Nebraska, and the week after you beat number three Pittsburgh by 36-22. to 22. You threw three touchdown passes and outdueled a pretty good quarterback named Dan Marino. The, those two weeks back-to-back, I think those two weeks have as much to do with Florida State's history uh, or, or Coach Bowden's history, Coach Bowden's legacy, as any, any game's ever been played. And you go to Nebraska and you beat number three Nebraska at their place, and then you turn right back around you got to play another number three team in the country who – uh, if you look back on that record, their defense or their team, their defense, everybody that started that game on defense uh, was drafted and played in the NFL for many years. Uh, every, and then probably half the guys on offense, uh, Marino, their receiver, uh, Mark May, uh, their center, their run, I mean, I can't remember who their running back was, but they had like six guys on their offensive side of the ball that uh, were drafted and played in the NFL. Defensive end, you had Ricky Green and Hugh Jackson, the, the most talented defense I'd ever played against. The, we kick off, and or they kick off, and we get it out to about to the 12, 15, or whatever it was, and 
uh, first play of the game, Hugh Green comes off the edge. It's play action pass. Hugh Green comes off the edge. And about the time I'm coming out of the fake, you know, he sacks me, and I get up and I'm on about that one yard line. I said, "Oh boys, this could be a long one here," <laughs> you know. So, uh, but the same thing, you know, we we played, you know, we played with enthusiasm. We played with confidence. We made plays, you know, Sam Childers caught a touchdown, Kurt Unglob, Hardis Johnson. We made plays, you know, our defense played great. We had a great plan. George Henshaw, you know, was the offensive coordinator then. Uh, we had a great uh, – went in with a great uh, audible system check check with me uh, game plan where we are reading the front uh, in, in the running game. So if they lined up here, we were going to run this. If they lined up here, we were going to run that. So uh, we were able to execute that. And Bill Capice kicked five field goals. Uh, Ron Stark punted well, played well on defense to shut those guys down. And, and then offensively, to, to score 36 points against that defense, uh, to me, is – uh, was just a great offensive night for us. And again, at that time, you know, the year before we'd gone 11 and 0 and gotten beat in the Orange Bowl by Oklahoma, but we were beating the Boston Colleges and the Southern Misses and the Cincinnatis, you know, and that, that, those type of teams. And I think those two weeks, Nebraska and, and Pittsburgh, I think just brought credibility. To, to Florida State, to, to our football program, to, to us as players that, I mean, we're, we're, we're as good as anybody out there. And, and it was, a, it was a, a, a fun year, an exciting year, and just something that I'll always cherish and remember. So number five, I believe, was your ranking when you went into the Orange Bowl. Number two. Number two. Yes, sir. Against Oklahoma. Ended, and up, ended up number five. Tough game, and who knew that Oklahoma, a wishbone team, could actually throw the ball when they had to? Yeah, and we had chances to to win that game, uh, really win the game by you know a couple touchdowns if you look at it. And and I just did that uh, that sunshine or sun sports flashback on it. You know, last month it made me realize that we scored a touchdown. And we had a penalty that's called back. We end up kicking a field goal on that drive. Uh, you know, so you lose four points there. Uh, we missed probably two field goals that normally we make during the year. Uh, we had a chance at a, a gimme interception at the end of the game uh, that could have iced it uh, that last drive. And I don't, I don't think anybody you know realizes that one of those plays was a halfback pass. You know, they run the option and, you know, the, the back throws it out there, you know, for about a 15-yard gain. So uh, that game to me was probably more disappointing than the Miami game earlier in the year because of the ramifications of it. I mean, we were number two, and uh, Georgia had won earlier in the day, so us, the chances of us being number one probably weren't going to happen. Uh, but it might have made you know some people really think, hey, these guys beat Nebraska, Pittsburgh, Oklahoma, and they lost one game to Miami uh, by one point on the last second of the game. You know, somebody might have said, well, have co-champions this year. You know, so that that was a heartbreaking game because I really felt we deserved to win that game. I, I thought we were the better team that game. Do you think you guys played looser? Back then, because FSU didn't have the legacy, the history. I don't think so. I think players today play so much more. You know, I, I don't know if there's a player in Florida State's locker room that gets sick before a game or gets butterflies before the game. 
kids, the players are so much different today. I mean, I, I can remember, you know, just the rituals that we did before a game and, and the, the nervousness, the anxieties, the, the butterflies. The uh, I don't know if I ever went into a game, you know, feeling – you know, loose and loosey goose, all that kind of stuff, because it was it was so serious to us. It was, I mean, it was so important for me to play good for my teammates and for my coaches. It was so good for Monk or whoever, you know, to play good for me and for the other coaches that we were we were so tight, we were so close as a football team. Uh, and cared about each other, you know. It's not just—it's not a cliche. We were—we were a close-knit football team that, that truly cared about each other. And do you guys ever get together today? Yeah, every uh, every year there's probably ten or twelve of us that we get together, and it's kind of rotated around. We go to either Destin or, or Jacksonville the last few years, but we just appreciate the friendship that we that we developed and. Uh, you know, my brother, who went to Clemson and won the national championship there in 81, uh, that team, and I coached at Clemson, that team's not near as, as, as close to each other as what we are at Florida State. Well, how about the next year? I mean, if 1980 was tough as far as the schedule goes, 81, you did have the toughest schedule in the, in the nation. And in the middle of that, you had the murderer's row of Nebraska, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, and LSU – all in a row and all on the road. You know, that was a, a tough year, you know, from a, a, from a schedule standpoint. And plus you look at what we lost personnel-wise, you know, on defense, what we lost on offense. You know, we were basically rebuilding an offensive line. I think we had one guy, two guys returning as starters on the offensive line. You know, we had one receiver, I think, returning. Uh, you know, the backfield was the same with Ricky Williams and Mike Whiting. Defensively, we lost three guys in the secondary. We lost both linebackers. We lost two guys up front in the defensive line. So, And I'm not making excuses or anything like that, but we replaced a bunch of good football players with, you know, some young guys. And then to have to play the guys that we were having to play um, it, it made it tough, and it was a it was a it was a hard year because you're used to winning and you're used to wanting to do good for Coach Bowden, you know. And we went to Nebraska and and, and we got beat. You know, went to Ohio State and uh, got after them. And you know, Arch Sleister was a quarterback, and and those guys and and really played well. And you know, you beat them. So if you look at it. You know, in about a a year span, you you go to Nebraska, you beat them, you beat Pittsburgh at home. You could have, should have almost beat Oklahoma. You go to Ohio State and you beat them. The next week you go to Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. So, I mean, one of those teams was in Tallahassee, Pittsburgh. That's the only team. Everything else has been on the road. And I, I really think that, you know, the Nebraska – Ohio State, Notre Dame game, we started running out of steam. You know, the next week we go to Pittsburgh and, and they got us, they beat us pretty good. Uh, the next week we, you know, we go to LSU and, and we at LSU we beat a good LSU team. So we beat three out of the five teams on the road. And, and I think that there's probably not a coach in America today, 25 years later, that wouldn't take that. 
that's something to you know to be proud of. But and again, as the season went, you know, we I think we just ran out of gas towards the year as the year ended because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you had a lot of great wins and terrific moments, but um, is there one in particular that stands out? I, and I always say this. Um, I'll always cherish the wins. I'll always cherish the big games and all that. But to me, what I'll cherish the most coming out of Florida State is Coach Bowden, my other coaches, and those teammates. You know, that that's what is the most important thing to me, the friendships that, that you developed, that we developed, everything we did as friends, as teammates to build, to help build, Florida State to help get where it is today. Uh, I, I can look back and I can say, hey, I was part of the reason. When I got to Florida State, we had a 36,000-seat stadium. You know, now it's 85,000. You know, I was part of the reason, you know, some of these great, great players, you know, now come to Florida State. So I'll, I'll always remember the Nebraska, the Pittsburgh, Ohio State, Notre Dame wins. I'll always remember the Orange Bowl I'll always remember beating Florida in 1980. Uh, that was a special win. Uh, I'll always remember that, but those will always come in second, you know, behind my coaches and teammates. You mentioned George Hinsaw, and he was the offensive coordinator. Back then, of course, it was 1980-81. Did he call most of the plays, or was Coach Bowden still pretty hands-on about play calling? You know, I, I think then Coach Bowden was hands-on. Uh you know, now only time you see him wear the headset. If you know, if he puts the headset on, something's not going right. You know, back then he never took them off. So uh, no, Coach Bowden, I think uh, had a, a hand in the in in the play calling. But uh, Coach Henshaw, you know, he called plays as well. And I'm sure I, I don't know, but I, I know Coach Bowden had a big hand in the play calling. And I don't want to take any way, thing away from Coach Henshaw because. I thought he had a did, did a remarkable job, and if you look at what Coach did, Henshaw, he was the defensive line coach the year before, in 1979, and he comes. Uh, coach Hafner left in '79 to go to Georgia. Coach Henshaw, uh, in the spring or summer, uh, Coach Bowden promotes him to the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. You know, so for coming over from defense to offense. Uh, Coach Henshaw is one of my all-time favorite coaches. So you made the transition to coaching. What did you learn from Bobby Bowden that you use as a coach? I think the two biggest things are communication and honesty. I think uh, as a player with Coach Bowden, you always knew where you stood. He was he was always honest with us. He never uh, tried to trick us into to to believe in something. You know. Uh, he, he, you always knew where you stood as a player. And then, you know, I thought communication-wise, uh, he communicated with us. He, he gave us a voice. He let us talk. He let us express his, our, our views. He didn't always listen to them, but he let, he let us, you know, have a vote. You know, so I think communication, uh, honesty, and then uh, to, I've said it earlier, he's the best motivator uh, of anybody I've ever been around. And what was it like recruiting against him? Did you have situations where you'd worked on somebody for a year or more and had them pretty well sold on Clemson since you were there for so long, and then Coach Bowden comes in at the end and kind of undoes all your good work? Yeah, you, you, had to, you had to really 
make sure you covered every minute detail in recruiting. You had to work. You had to make sure you talked to everybody, that you had done your homework in every aspect uh, of, of recruiting that particular player. And still it didn't matter. I mean, if Coach Bowden walked in there and put his arm around Mama and Grandmama and Daddy and all that and – you know, they they were going to get them the most of the time. We had we had some wins, we had some success. We got a couple out of there, and, and those were fun. When you say, "Hey, <laughs> Coach Bowden wanted this guy, and I got him," you know. So, but that didn't happen very often. So, I learned a lot from him recruiting just by recruiting against him. When we'd recruit a guy and he's recruiting the same player, I would watch and study everything he did. I said, now what coach – I'd call that player. Now what coach Bowden tell you? What did he say? Well, he said – so I'd write that down. So next year I was going to use that with somebody else. So uh, Coach Bowden, and everybody knows, he's such, a, he's such a good person. He's a good football coach, but he's a good person. And uh, I owe so much to him. I've got such a great deal of respect for the man. But you were at Clemson for 13 years, and what's it like to coach against the school that you played for, had a, such a strong bond with, and then suddenly, you, a few years later, you're coaching against them? Is that a hard thing to do as a coach? I was, actually, I was there 14 years, and my first year there was 1989 at Clemson. And it just so happened, 1988, the year before that, was the punt ruski there at Clemson. So I wasn't there for that. Uh, so then I get there in 89, and we play Florida State second, and, and it's in Tallahassee. And that was the first time I had been in the stadium since I had played. That was the first time I'd been back, you know, eight years later, whatever. So, And in our colors at Clemson, you know, we're orange and blue. We had on blue khakis and an orange polo shirt and all that. And I said, man, here I am. I'm walking into my stadium, and I'm walking into a place with gator colors on. But just the – I always got a good feeling going back to Tallahassee because I got to see so many former players, former teammates, former coaches, uh, friends, you know, just so many people that I used to always look forward to the trip. I didn't look forward to the game, but I look forward to the trip. And uh, it's a great experience. But that first year, that 89 year when we went down there and we ended up beating them, um, was a a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun – because as a coach, you want to win. It doesn't matter who you're playing. But So it was fun to win the game, but I didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of beating my alma mater. Well, you just came from two years at South Carolina, the last of which was with Steve Spurrier. What did you learn from him? I think Coach Spurrier is a little – misunderstood in the media you know even maybe by the Florida State fans too he uh I really enjoyed the year it was a lot of fun uh, he made it fun uh how we practiced uh his attitude his enthusiasm everything how he approached the football game uh, made a lot of fun and uh he rivals right up there with coach Bowden as far as being honest He'll, he'll tell you exactly. He'll tell the media. He'll tell whoever exactly what he's thinking. So I, I like that. I appreciated that. I love the way he made the players compete. You may be the starter today, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to be the starter tomorrow. And if you have a bad practice and old Joe over here has a good practice, well, we're going to move him ahead of you. And he made the guys compete harder than what they had been doing. Uh, you may be the 
starter this game, but if you have a bad game and old Tommy has a good game, well, you're not going to start this week. And the players knew that, and and I liked it. I thought it, it created competition. It, it kept people from getting the fat cat lazy attitude that hey, I'm the starter, so I'll start the rest of the year. And and it wasn't it wasn't like that. So. Uh, I liked how he was honest with the players. I liked how he created competition. Did you ever talk to Coach Spurrier about his days coaching against FSU and some of the mind games he used to play? And I didn't want to because, I mean, he made enough jokes throughout the year. Stock, your your semi-holes got beat yesterday. And I said, well, Coach, your Gators did too, you know, or something like that. And, and uh, you know, so I understood – where he was coming from, I under, he does not like Florida State. So there's no love lost there. But uh, I think he he takes great satisfaction when Florida State loses. I guess the Sugar Bowl, the national championship game, I mean, he'd talk about that until uh, I said, Coach, I wasn't there. I, I said, he, you guys won. Congratulations, you know. Well, that that, that – Game before now in the regular season, they got us pretty good stock. But but we came back and we got them in the Sugar Bowl when it really counted. I said, okay, coach, you know. So uh, he he loved he doesn't love them right now, but he loved his Gators and and didn't think too much of the Seminoles. Well, here at Middle Tennessee, what kind of attack do you plan to to run here, and how do you do you plan to have a similar, I guess, approach like Florida State did, where Bobby seemed to, at least certainly in the earlier days, the gunslinger days, let it all hang out. And uh, he really kept bigger opponents uh, off balance a lot. Do you have a similar plan in mind as you come into this job? Very similar. I want to, I, and I told staff in there the other day, I said, I want to, you know, I want to be able to take chances. I don't want to sit back and, you know, keep the game close. I want to take chances. I want to, I want to throw the ball deep. I want to throw throw it long on third and one. I want to throw it long on, on first down. I want, to, I want to make people guess what we're going to do. I want to make it fun for, for the players to play. I want to make it fun for them to practice. I want to trick plays, trick plays in the kicking game. I, I, want, to, I want to do things that you know, maybe the football Bible doesn't say, hey, you don't do this in this situation. But Coach Bowden did, and I saw it work firsthand, and I saw – how it brought enthusiasm to the fans. How it brought, and you know, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to be like Coach Bowden was. When you look at him, he was always, you know, like that duck on the water. He was always so smooth, but underneath that water, I mean, he's paddling like heck to stay afloat. You know, he's working. You know, so I, he gives you that impression that he's he's always level-headed. He's never too high, never too low. Uh, and, and that's what I want to be. I want to coach the same when we're winning. I want to coach the same when we're losing. I want to act the same around my staff and our players after a win as I do after a loss. I want to be consistent in, in all that. So I, I'll lean very, very heavily to, to Coach Bowden. How do you handle some of the discipline problems? I know Coach Bowden gets some heat for that, which I think is not is not fair. How do you handle that? What's your philosophy of um of team discipline. You know, I, I I like Coach. You know, he he treated us all like, you know, we were Tommy, Terry, Jeff. You know how he would as a father, I think. And, and but my philosophy is uh, I'm gonna treat everybody fairly, but not everybody equally. If you're a performer, if you're giving great effort on and off the field, you're making good grades, you're uh, 
doing good on the football field. You're not in trouble consistently. You me- you messed up, you know, one time. I-, I will give you a second chance. But if you're, you know, failing classes and you're not giving good effort on the field, you know, and you mess up, then you're going to be gone. And that's basically how Coach Bowden did it. If uh, he used to call it money in the bank. If you got money in the bank, if you've been doing good, you know, well, stock, there's, you got a little bit of money in the bank. Ah, you did bad. We're going to take that money out, you know. Next time now you don't have any money in the bank, you know. So we're going to treat everybody fairly uh, but not equally, you know. And, and it, uh, I'm in the locker room, the weight room, walking around all the time trying to get, to get the guys to know that, that I care about them. Because to me, if you show somebody that you care about them and that you believe in them both on and off the field, they're going to fight harder for you, you know, when the game time comes. And, and that's what we had at Florida State. We truly believed that Coach Bowden, that Coach Henshaw, Coach Sexton, all those guys cared about us uh, on and off the field. And we fought our guts out for them. You know, I, I hated to lose as much for our coaching staff as I did, you know, for myself and our teammates. Well, someday when uh, Coach Bowden retires, finally retires, you actually could be a serious candidate for the job. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Have you ever thought about going back to Tallahassee as the head coach? I've always, you know, I remember this to this day. Uh, when I was at Bethune, when I was at Central Florida in 1985, uh, my first year at Central Florida, Coach McDowell, I spoke at DeLand High School and uh, at their football banquet and uh, Dave Hiss was the head coach and uh, you know I was talking to the guy his team about goals and doing the right thing all that kind of stuff and I said you got to have goals I said I got to go I want to be the head coach at Florida State when coach Bowden retires you know I've always wanted to coach at Florida State I, I, I love Florida State you know so that's very nice of you to say that we got enough work to do here at Middle Tennessee before I even start thinking about that. Did uh, did you ever have the opportunity? Were you ever offered the chance? Because you know, I know you, uh, you were close with about this. In December of 1988, Mark Rick left to go to um, East Carolina. East Carolina. I was at Central Florida, and coach. That's when Mark was the volunteer coach. You know, saying he got a full time job at East Carolina. So, uh, Coach Bowden called me for that position for the volunteer job. Coach McDowell, who's at Central Florida, you know, and I told him, and and he said, Stock, you never take a job until after recruiting. And, uh, you know, here I am, 26, 27 years old, and been in the coaching profession four or five years. I didn't know everything. So I called Coach Bowden, and I said, Coach, uh, can I wait? Can you wait till after signing? I remember every comment. I said, can you wait till after signing date, and I'll come. He goes, no, Stock, i got to have somebody here you know, for recruiting so I can tell these quarterbacks this is who their quarterback coach is going to be. And I thought, I said, well, Coach McDowell said that, you know, you're not supposed to leave to take another job till you know, after signing date. My loyalty to him is, you know, I need to, I, to do that. And he said, okay, you know, I understand that and all that. So that's when he hired uh, Daryl Dickey as the volunteer. And then I think Daryl left to go to Kentucky, and then Mark came back a year later after that so I had a chance and uh, I guess my lack of knowledge about the profession that it's okay to leave for a job you know before signing date 
is, is over. So, but I didn't know that back then. So, but I, yeah, Coach Bowden did offer me an opportunity, and grateful for that for the, that he did. Garnet and Great is produced by Rich Holton, FSU class of '71. Thanks for listening. Until next time, oh no's. Oh,